Hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Goddess of Crypto. I am excited to have with me today, Janelle Shaluli. She is the CEO and founder of the Venusverse, which is a Web3 startup from Waterloo region in Canada. And that's like really cool history to it. So we're going to jump right into that. Janelle, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm so happy to be here, Hallie. Thank you so much. I'm excited about this segment. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. We were kind of pre-talking and we have some juicy, juicy stuff (laughs) to talk about. The sacred divine feminine is creative, abundant, flowing, receiving, and disruptive. And the new energy of money, including cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and even the metaverse, is all these things too. Welcome to the Goddess of Crypto, a weekly show where women who are already in this powerful space will cover these topics simply, so you can relax into knowing that the future of finance is female. So let's start off with the fabulous area of Waterloo, Canada. You're going to tell us why it's famous, right? Yeah. Whenever I'm on panel discussions or on podcasts and someone asks me to introduce myself and where I'm from, I love saying Waterloo, Ontario, because we're a small but mighty city region. And actually, it's the birthplace of Ethereum. So a lot of people don't know that Ethereum was born in Canada at the University of Waterloo. Vitalik actually created it here. And it's like literally down the road from my house, I actually used to work at the university. So I know quite a bit about the history of it and the entrepreneurship that happens, the magic that happens there. So yeah, it's a a Canadian tech and actually the security upon which Ethereum was built on is also Canadian tech. So Scott Van Stone, the late Scott Van Stone had worked with uh, Vitalik on this and his wife, Sherry, is actually the founder of a startup called Profound Impact too, which is one of our partners. So a lot of magic happens here. And actually, one more thing about Waterloo, Ontario that I'd like to plug is that we have the largest startup density on the planet outside of Silicon Valley. So a lot of people don't know this about us. Lots of magic happens here. (laughs) Wow. So that's kind of a surprise. I mean, certainly I've never heard of Waterloo, but I also just learned that Vitalik is Canadian and it's not Vitalik. So I'm all good. Like, I feel like (laughs) I'm caught up now. But largest startup density is a big deal. I was actually in Seattle back in the early 90s when the internet was this nascent thing. And I got to be in that intense startup. Like, I don't even know. I was going to say container, but it was more like either some kind of a Petri dish or like a mad scientist lab. And it was just like everywhere you went, we were all into the same thing. And so you'd go into a coffee shop and it would be just like everybody would be having the same conversation, but a different version of it. And that's what I feel like is going on in crypto. I would have said that Miami was had one of the biggest startup densities outside of Silicon Valley. I don't know who tests those waters and does that temperature gauge, but congratulations, because it must just be like super exciting to be in that space. So that's really cool. It is very exciting. And and if you think about obviously the startup ecosystems, we have a much more condensed because it's a smaller city. So we're running into each other and working with each other all the time. And where I used to work at Communitech is also one of the oldest incubators, accelerators on the planet too. 
So they've been around for 23 years now. And it all started kind of here, the spirit of entrepreneurship with BlackBerry and OpenText and a few other entrepreneurs. It all started here. And that's kind of how it, uh, it was birthed. So it's in our DNA. We just don't talk about it enough. And while we're talking about it today, so talk about your own inspiration. Like what inspired you to be a woman in this crazy space? I was at the Bitcoin conference in May and I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, I think about 15% of what I'm seeing here is female. And later they came out with a statistic that said that we can use our women's intuition to figure stuff out. (laughs) So what caused you to get all excited about being a woman in a space that's so minority women? So actually, it all started early 2021 with my husband He was reading up about NFTs. And he turned to me, he's like, Janelle, you have to read about this. You have to look into this. It's tech, it's art, it's you. So I actually have an art background, one of my undergraduate degrees. Actually, I went to university in the US, College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts is my undergraduate alma mater. So I had a political science and studio art degree there. And then I ended up going for my master's at Hofstra University. So with business journalism, there's a lot of mishmash in there. But I've always gravitated towards my art. I've just always loved art. And so when he had suggested I look into it, I started reading up about NFTs. And I'm like, this is me. This is exactly me. Not only because of the art, but because an NFT to me was an authentication process. And I feel that the world needs more authenticity in so many ways. And it's a digital asset that's on the blockchain. So as I started going down the rabbit hole and reading more about Web3, I started having conversations with women in my network, with women that are my friends that I know about crypto, Web3, just to gauge their interests. And quite honestly, there were very few, if any, at the time. And I'll tell you about the one that I actually met who was into crypto. And that's kind of how we birthed this idea. So uh, there was not a lot of women in this space at all. And none of them were in crypto. None of them knew what NFTs were or Web3. And it's not because they didn't want to this. It's just there wasn't any exposure to this information. And so as I started looking into it more, I came across a statistic in the Globe and Mail from 2018. And I'm sure it's morphed and changed. We're trying to like, there's not enough statistics out there around this, but that's another thing I'm trying to change too. There was only 5% of women in Canada in the crypto NFT and Web3 space and 95% of men in Canada were in the crypto NFT and Web3 space. And when I saw that statistic, I was, okay, there's a fundamental issue here. There's a fundamental issue. Somebody has to solve for this problem. I was a juncture in my life where I was ready to solve all kinds of problems and I was ready to make a move. So I figured, you know what? It just makes sense for me to jump in, given my background, given my love for entrepreneurship, and given the fact that I have no problem (laughs) being one of the first in the space and hopefully getting more women to think more about this. So that's kind of how I decided I wanted to do something different and start my own startup. And then I came across Natalie Dumont, who is actually a co-founder and now the facilitator, my facilitator who facilitates the Web3 sessions that we have. And her and I were talking and she was the only other woman that I met that was into NFTs. And we're like, we got to do something about this. The statistic is not a good one. It's not a good one for Canadian women. And we have to make some change. And so through that, we just decided that we're going to be actively making some changes. Oh, good. I'm so glad because I get play in the Miami space physically a lot. And there are a lot of women here that are into 
Web3 that are into NFTs. I think NFTs, I want to make a distinction in case this is the first episode you're listening to of Goddess of Crypto. Please be aware that we've done other episodes around NFTs that this is not just NFTs as art. NFTs are smart contracts. So they're really applicable in every business. There's actually an episode a couple back that I did by myself that was basically like, hey, this is the trajectory that I see for NFTs over the next 20 years. And that episode was basically all about smart contracts and every single business industry. Like it's going to just be everywhere. And I have the perspective of being able to have seen because I was a growing up, like cutting my teeth of my first company back in the CD-ROM and dot-com days, I got to see a whole industry get birthed the way that this industry is being birthed. So I get to see that this is actually how it looks when something is struggling to emerge. And so there's a lot of like, oh, this thing is dead, or there was this big, you know, the NFT bubble or whatever. And all of those things are true, but they're on their way to something really being like ubiquitous. And that's what we're going to see with NFT. So I want to just kind of take that aside to make sure everybody's on the same page about that. What are you thinking about when, because I feel like NFTs are as art came out first, often because Artists haven't had a voice in the past. You know, I have a friend who's a pretty famous artist. And the last time we saw each other, she told me a story about being completely basically robbed by her very famous dealer. Like these are people with like a reputation and the top cities of the planet. And yet they stole from her. And you're like, dude, you're making all the money in the first place. The artist (laughs) is like getting like the really short end of the stick. (laughs) So what is it like for, I mean, I feel like women have come into the NFT space because it's like, oh, we can actually stamp ownership on this thing and know that it belongs to us. So to talk a little bit about like what that, those aspects and what drew you to to the space. Yeah, I'll tell you more about my collection, how I've consciously made a decision to do it very differently. So I haven't gone down the whole route that a lot of the other collections have gone down deliberately. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. But I also want to touch on the vision for NFTs too, because I completely agree with you. It is early adopter stage. A lot of people are starting to play with all kinds of codes within the smart contract and they're building new and exciting and interesting things. Then we have, I don't know if there's been a lot of press around this, but then we have the soul bound NFTs. So I'm happy to talk a little bit about that. That is to me going to be revolutionary and will actually change the face of digital ID. So there's a lot around NFTs that to me personally will change and revolutionize the world. It's not just about the art, but to your point, a lot of revolutions in history have started with artists in some way, or artists have been a big part of it. So if you think about cubism, romanticism, a lot of these different genres of art, there's been some serious revolutions that have come about with it. It's not any different now, in my personal opinion. This is an industrial revolution that's starting with the artist as it should, because it is a creator economy. I mean, it is a very decentralized creator economy. So artists should be the first in the door. And quite honestly, it's the reason why I double majored because of the starving artist thing. I'm like, there's no chance I'm going to make any money in art. So I'm just going to do poli sci as well and, and go down that path because there is that whole starving artist thing. But now what NFTs do is actually remove 
all the other individuals that surround the artist and allows for the artist, whether it's a singer, songwriter, a traditional artist in the sense of like painter, photographer, any of the artists actually, allows them to interact directly with their fan base, directly with their constituents who they want to engage. And it removes all the others around it. So they no longer have to go to a gallery and they can save costs there. So for me, actually, what NFTs are, like I mentioned, it is an authentication process, but it's also a membership card. You can make it a membership card. And a lot of different entities are starting to think about it this way. They could be tickets to a concert or to a game. There's so much revolution that's happening with NFTs. And then to the soulbound NFTs, which I do want to touch on for a second. Yeah, I'm excited. That sounded so good. (laughs) So this is the latest thing that Vitalik had talked about. So when I first started talking about NFTs, I thought to myself, you know what? It would be amazing to have a university diploma as an NFT because I've traveled the world. I've lived in a lot of different countries and I've had to lug these university diplomas with me, folding them up and crumple, you know, they're all crumpled. Mine's in my closet right behind me. (laughs) But how cool is it if you have an actual digital asset that proves you're an alma mater of a university or your university diploma is actually a digital asset? So what soulbound NFTs are supposed to be are NFTs or soulbound tokens, NFTs that actually are not going to leave your wallet. They don't leave your wallet. So if you think about it from a passport perspective, from a health card perspective here in Canada, driver's license, social security cards, all of these can actually be soul-bound NFTs. And it's interesting because the name is soul, S-O-U-L bound. So bound to your soul, NFTs. So from a digital ID perspective, it's actually going to revolutionize the world and the way we live. So I would love never to have to carry a physical hard copy of my passport again and just show. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I talked about in that episode that I did about NFTs was the idea that you would be able to share your health information as opposed to asking for it from your doctor. I just think there's some really, I mean, we're recording this episode a few weeks after the new Supreme Court decision reversing Roe v. Wade. So I'll say this with my tongue firmly in my cheek. There are a few things that maybe we should look at fundamentally doing differently healthcare and our access to our own health information is one of the things that I think we're going to start being able to see the digital revolution is going, this phase of it is going to help fix that. I hope that real estate will also be revolutionized, not just, I'm already seeing a Proppy, the company that's already done some NFTs as real estate and in the real estate space peripherally. And I get to see like the front lines of that. And it's very cool to see what's happening. But I'm hoping that the records themselves will become NFTs because I think that's so important. It's just, it's always going to be a matter of like how humans are willing to interact with the system or how humans are willing to interact with the laws or the rules. Like, for example, if you look at either health or real estate, when you're thinking in terms of an NFT, there's a chain, right? There's a chain of title, for example, with real estate, or there's a chain of your health, your medical record. And what happens is if you wanted to, you simply wouldn't put something on chain. So if something were illegal or something that you wanted to omit, you actually could by not putting it on chain. And so I don't 
exactly know like how that is going to function when the human part of it can really be so interruptive to the way that the system is supposed to work. But I also hear that there was an expression that I heard yesterday about now that Roe v. Wade has been reversed, malicious compliance, I believe, was the phrase that was used. And I was like, well, that's interesting that women are going to be in malicious compliance. And I think for that, it's going to include, and this I'm sure will warm your cockles because we were talking about how upset this decision has made you. Things like, for example, the IRS says that before birth, you're not a person, therefore you can't be deducted from taxes. Well, now they're saying you are a person, so we can expect some lawsuits for the IRS. That Midler recently very famously said, well, if pregnancy is God's will, guys, so is your limp. <laughs> Bet Midler pulls no punches. So she's like, now we need to outlaw Viagra. And that's the kind of stuff where an insurance and like all of these things that have not been handled in a congruent way, like this is like Roe v. Wade reversing it is the tip of the iceberg. And I think malicious compliance is going to be very interesting to see what happens. So I definitely want to touch on this for sure, because like you said, it it is a decision that I think not just me, all women should be paying attention to. And I'll, I'll tell you why in just a second. I also want to talk about the real estate piece because there was an interesting and I use this example as to how NFTs are going to create a ton of efficiencies through real estate too, to your point. And then I'd love to talk just a little bit more about how I've been able to do things a little bit differently with our collection, why I'm doing it that way, because I think it's important, you know, for women to also know that this is a very, still very nascent. This is early adopter stage. There's so much room to grow, so much room for innovation. So I do want to plant that seed for a lot of women to start thinking in that way too. But with regards to Roe v. Wade, like I said, I'm born Canadian, but have lived most of my life in the U.S., quite a long time of my life in the U.S. between Boston, New York, and Washington, D.C. I grew up in Boston, went to university in Worcester, also went to university in New York when I was working there on Long Island. And a lot of my very close family and friends are American women. And if you think about the revolution for women uh, really started with American women. So the fact that this Roe v. Wade was reversed almost 50 years later it has a much bigger ripple effect than I think a lot of us are actually talking about. It is obviously the leader of the free world. America is perceived to be the leader of the free world. And when America makes a decision to reverse uh, Roe v. Wade, it has an incredible amount of ripple effects across the world. So it sets a precedence. It sets kind of the tone for the rest of the world. And to me, it's something we should all be paying attention to because who knows where this is going to go. So first and foremost, it actually broke my heart because American women are really the pioneers and the leaders behind the freedom that women have had over the last 50 years, quite honestly. So it almost seems completely unjust that we're back here. It is completely unjust. I'm not going to say almost seems. So what I've been saying is that women really need to start paying attention to Web3 personally. And this is where I think that there can be a lot of women jumping into the space, starting to think about creating their own businesses in the space. In Canada right now, we're going through a great resignation. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the same in the U.S., no better time to start learning new things and how to jump into new things than during a great resignation. Because with great resignations, there's going to be an upcycle very soon. So you might- Great opportunity. Yeah. 100%. So you want to start thinking about that. So women all across the world, women in America should start thinking about how can we get ahead? How can we start to 
change that narrative? How can we start to make decisions for ourselves and really be at the forefront of things, whether it's getting more into politics, whether it's becoming entrepreneurs and kind of like taking over certain spaces? We need to start thinking about getting ahead so that we don't have to succumb to a lot of these decisions that are made for us unjustly, in my personal opinion. This is all my personal opinion. My personal opinion is sharing your personal opinion. But yeah, I mean, look, women listening to this, we're not talking about pregnancy. We're really not. We're not talking about abortion. That is actually not the biggest concern. The biggest concern is that this creates an unequal right between men and women. And it says that women's bodies can be regulated in any way. And most of the women that I know, whether they support abortion or not, are feeling the kind of ripple of discomfort of this law being regulating women. And you said earlier, we're the leader of the free world. The word that's so operative here is free. How is there freedom from America that's the land of the free and the home of the brave when women are being told you can do this or you can't do this? And, you know, I mean, they say that they're going to go after gay rights in this country next. And it's weird because I don't identify as being a gay woman, but I've been living with my female partner happily for almost 10 years. And it's bizarre to be like, I don't know, let's not get into my own personal brain, but rather it's who we love and who we choose to love and how we accidentally fall in love with that person who also has boobs and whatever. It's been a very interesting ride for me, but it puts me on a different side of the coin than I was on my whole life. But I was always concerned with gay rights. I mean, I was concerned about that back in the 80s when AIDS was a thing. And it's about our freedom. And it's about us being like, if we're patriots, right? And that's what I hear from the far right all the time. If we're patriots and we want freedom, we have to want freedom for every freaking person, everybody, not just white guys. And I think that as you've been sharing today, Janelle, the, there's such freedom in being revolutionary and there's such freedom in creating and that's what draws women as artists to that space no thank you for sharing that and to be completely honest with you i think unfortunately i don't think there's any limits to what can happen next you know that's kind of how i see it when you go back 50 years in a supreme court decision who knows what's coming next so i totally empathize and agree with you we need to be Everybody basically needs to have their eyes wide open and really following what's happening and really trying to get in front of it. And how we get in front of it is to kind of become more independent financially, to be honest with you, and also to become more active, I guess, and more vocal. So to your point about Bette Midler and some of the things that she was saying too, I actually read something the other day about how a woman was in the fast lane and she was given a ticket and she was like, but yeah, but I'm pregnant. And technically... This is another person. So I'm in the fast lane for all the right reasons. Oh, she was in the carpool lane. Oh, that's C, malicious compliance. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? You just have to keep doing this because this is the decision. The decision has been made. So unfortunately, all we can do now is really act on those decisions in all the right ways and make sure that we are I guess, countering it as much as we can. So I will stop there with that. But I totally agree with you. This is something that we should all be aware of and all be looking out for. 
With regards to the NFT that was listed as a deed, so in St. Petersburg, Florida, I don't know if you've actually heard about this story, a home was sold on the blockchain as an NFT with the deed as an NFT. So I love to use this example. When you think about it, all the loopholes we have to jump through now in order to buy a home. You go through a bank, you have to have a credit score, go to a lawyer, go to a real estate agent. So there's a lot of different entities that surround this purchase. And you may or may not get the approval based on your credit score. But what they did was they listed the deed to the home as an NFT, and they were able to make that sale peer-to-peer, which is the whole idea behind the blockchain, is peer-to-peer interaction, creating a lot of efficiencies. I think it was Proppy that did that. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. And there's layers to this that are interesting. I'm going to have Natalia as a guest on the show, the owner of the company one of these days. She's also here in Miami. We know each other and I'm really excited about what they're doing. But it's really interesting because like right now there's kind of like the NFT is sort of partly usable, partly not usable. It has to be put in an LLC. It seems like it's peer-to-peer, but there's like some little, like there are nuances that they haven't really figured out yet. I think what's really fascinating, and this goes back to ownership, the first NFT that Proppy did was in Kiev City, Ukraine. Irony of ironies. This was like last October. And so before Russia invaded. So I don't know if the mortgage company still exists or has been bombed out of existence. I don't know if the condo still exists or has been bombed out of existence. But normally when those two things happen, it's very hard to prove ownership. This is the first time in recorded history that no one will have any trouble proving, yes, I own that condo. And when they go to rebuild or give restitution or pay the building owner or whatever, that person can be at the head of the line because their ownership is incontrovertible. And I think that, you know, I studied a lot about World War II, Nazi Germany. I just finished reading this amazing book called The Hair with Amber Eyes, which traces the origin of this collection of Japanese Netsuki across from the Impressionists when it was originally purchased all the way through modern times. And it's a Jewish family, incredibly wealthy Jewish family, and they talk about how everything is really taken from them. Like the art is absolutely taken from them, then there's no way to prove ownership. Or it was like assigned over like under duress that supposedly was gladly given, but not really. So I feel like when it comes to the idea of an NFT being owned, like that's got so much value, because it it crosses time, it crosses space, it crosses history it's going to change ownership. And women are at the forefront of that. And I think that that's really, really incredible. I know you mentioned earlier before we started the session about giving the rights to the NFTs, giving like merchandise rights and things like that. So talk a little bit more about that, because I think that that also has such an important ripple effect. Yes, absolutely. So with regards to our Women of Venus First collection, so I actually wanted to be the, this to be very different than all the other collections that are out there. So the when I first jumped in, when we first jumped in, the way collections were done is basically you list your collection. Usually it was around 10,000 pieces of generative art. And for those who aren't aware of the term, it's basically AI art. So properties are all put together by AI. AI by a code. So by artificial intelligence, yes. Yes, sorry, by artificial intelligence. 
collections in order to ensure that no two properties are the same. Because when you have 10,000 piece collection, the whole idea behind an NFT is a non-fungible token. It's a unique crypto asset. And there's not supposed to be another one out there. So even though, let's say you have one ETH, I have one ETH, the value of those two ETHs are the same. It's not the same with NFTs. NFTs, if you have an NFT, I have an NFT. The idea is that those two NFTs are supposed to be very unique and very different. And there shouldn't be another one on the blockchain like that. It's like crypto 101 here. So what Janelle has just described is a fungible token, something that it could be exchanged like for like, and that would be ETH to ETH. So if Ether is the coin for Ethereum blockchain, so ETH is the code that you use when you buy it. So ETH to ETH is fungible, right? Exchanged like for like. NFT to NFT, like house to house or car to car, not exchangeable because they are not identical. And I guess that's probably not true about cars, for example. You could have something that was really 100%, but there would be some nuanced differences like mileage or like some little problem that the car had. NFTs are designed with those differences built in to be unique. And that is what makes them non-fungible, like non-exchangeable. Why they had to use a word that sounds like mushrooms, I don't know. But anyway, go ahead. I just wanted to make sure everybody's on the same page with you. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Always interject and and walk it back when you need to. So anyways, the whole idea behind having an NFT to me was you have a unique crypto asset that's yours. So you can do whatever you want with. And when I first actually launched this, there's a little bit of a story behind our collection too, which is a pretty interesting one. So it's 2022 right pieces. And the whole idea is that it's this is the year that we launched Venus verse 2022. But it's also 222 is a number six, which is the number for unconditional love and selflessness. It's also the number for the planet Venus in terms of size and mass. So I thought to myself, this is where it's all coming together. Venus, a goddess, Venus, a planet, 222 just makes sense. So there's a little bit of a backstory behind it. And the whole idea was to bring concepts of 2022 women from across the world. So actually, it's a very diverse collection. There's a a lot of absolutely beautiful, phenomenal collections out there, but it was meant to keep it real. I wanted it to be real for women. So we have completely transparent, like all kinds of skin tones across the planet. That's the whole idea. We wanted diversity in our collection. There's different headpieces. There's different properties when it comes to jewelry, when it comes to glasses. So there's tattoos. There's a lot of different elements to it, but it's supposed to represent 2022 women from across the world. And so what we did was I actually hired a digital artist at first. So I had a vision in my head and I thought to myself, I can do this, try to learn digital art, but there's a lot of talented digital artists out there right now. This is an opportunity to bring digital artists into the NFT fold. So I actually hired a digital artist who started taking my concepts and kind of working through it. And so she actually designed the first 104 pieces of the collection. She actually drew them out, hand-drawn, and they're animated. That's a beautiful part, actually. So we've actually animated part of our collection, which a lot of the big female collections out there don't have this element to it. So you have flowers blooming in the background, or you have their eyes shuddering. So she actually drew those out, and then we drew drew another 10 for the team. And then we took properties actually, and we drew out all the personal properties that we wanted to see that I loved and wanted to see included in the collection. And then I hired a generative artist because after we were done with the 114, we're like, there's a long way to go to, <laughs> to fill out the rest of the. So the other 1,908 actually have been put together by generative art and it was done by design. And the whole idea was I wanted to show how 
you can actually marry the traditional artwork with the tech, with the AI piece and actually grow your collection to something pretty big and beautiful. So all that to say is it's a very unique collection that's out there. It's the first of its kind. And so when I first put the collection out there actually to the public, and right now it's being exhibited at a local museum, the whole idea was that it would be just pure art, because quite honestly, we need not only women in Web3, because we definitely need that cognitive diversity. We need artists in Web3, because we also definitely need that cognitive diversity. So it's a little bit of an artist movement as well. So it was just supposed to be art. But then as I started speaking with our community, they're like, you know what, I want to print this and put this up in my home. I want to be able to use this on merch. I want to print it on a t-shirt. So I listened and we heard our community and we actually just yesterday revised our licensing agreement to allow for any of our token holders to be able to use their crypto asset, their NFTs, however they'd like, as long as it's for good. But the idea is that you want to create merch, you can go create your own merch shop on Etsy. You want to print something out and give it as a gift, you can do that. So it's really your digital asset to do whatever you want with at that time. So it's allowing for more freedom. And also there's a lot of AI that's coming out now that's creating characters out of these NFTs that you can use in movies, that you can use in animation films. So there's so much you can do and you actually have proven on the blockchain that this is your digital asset. So there's so much you can do with this NFTs now. You know, I was in the Hard Rock Guitar Hotel. They have a near me. I go all the time. But they have a gallery. And I usually walk around the gallery. It tends to have rock and roll artists in it. Like art from rock and roll artists. I don't know why, but they seem to like (laughs) creating it. And all of a sudden, I saw a bored ape on the wall. And I was like, what the heck is this? And it was a print of somebody's bored ape yacht club NFT ape but it had no NFT attached to it. It was just a print and it was $5,000 and they just had a picture of it on the wall. And I found that to be like, I don't know, totally uninteresting. Like, why would I want that? And why would that be important to me? And the idea of, I talked about this in a previous episode, like, why would I want to own a digital print of somebody else's board ape? But the Board Ape Yacht Club specifically, to me, has such a, well, a bro culture to it. Because the apes themselves, I mean, honestly, if something was going to become the biggest hit of the NFT art world, why did it have to be so ugly? Don't get me started on that one either, Hallie. Honestly, I actually will refrain from commenting on that collection. <laughs> I will. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I hear that there's going to be a cartoon. And I think the cartoon, like I could see the personalities of these guys being super fun. I'm thinking like the raccoon from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, like that kind of character, that would be really, really fun. But right now, just as individual pieces of visual art, God bless the people who made millions of dollars buying 20 of them up front. I'm afraid I would have missed the boat thinking this is like so ugly. And what I really am drawn to and love is the type of art that you're talking about. And I have seen a couple of other NFT collections that have some of the design elements that you're talking about. Or there's one, for example, where they encode intentions into each NFT. And it's a soul-based NFT collection. The Crypto Chicks, I think, is one of the most famous ones where they've got the different elements and such. And so, again, all women artists, Crypto Coven is another one. All women artists 
developing something that's really beautiful. So to me, the idea of turning that into art or merchandise or whatever, I think is really awesome. And now I was thinking, how like prejudiced am I being exactly ragging on the BAYC prints for five grand? If your NFT collection was value that theirs was, so let's say it costs a million dollars to own a single one of your NFTs, your art, the digital print of that probably would go for $5,000, $10,000. So I'm going to have to rethink I guess beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Art is what you think of it. And to your point, art is in the eye of the beholder. So whether it's BAYC, Board A Yacht Club, or another collection, ultimately it comes back to the person who's purchased it, the person who's interested in it. It's a collectible just the way any other art is. And you know what? I have art hanging around my house that might not appeal to other people. I'm big into collecting art. But at the same time, to me, it's beautiful and I won't change it for anything. And I would love to have it recorded on the blockchain. And that is the beauty. I have art in my home, but I technically can't prove it to anybody that doesn't come to my home, right? So the blockchain, you actually prove that. It's proven. It's out there in in a public network on the most secure, in my personal opinion, system on the web ever. And it's recorded in a way that it ties it back to you as the owner. So I love the fact that NFTs or now JPEG smart contracts are actually giving owners too. So not just artists, but owners of the art, the ownership that they're entitled to with this art, because art is an investment at the end of the day, you know, and you can sell it. So World of Women sold, I believe at Sotheby's or Christie's, if I'm not mistaken, one of those two big auction houses. And it is digital art, which is awesome. I'm so happy that happened because it is a new art revolution. It is a digital revolution. So we need to start thinking about it that way. And when you have this asset, if you can use it however you want, if there's a licensing agreement or terms that allows you to do it, you should. You don't have to go out and commission somebody to do it yourself. Now you have a crypto asset that's actually yours that's been already done for you that you can use however you want. So that's the beauty of being able to kind of use your art and appreciate your art, I think, in this world. Yeah, and I like your generosity. I mean, you're creating, if a woman comes to you and says, I want to create an Etsy store to do merchandise of an art piece that you created as part of your NFT collection, you have just empowered another woman to build her own economy. And I think for us women, creating our own economy is the key to those freedoms that we were talking about earlier. So I think that's really beautiful. And again, very generous of you as well. And I think that speaks to women tending to be more collaborative and more community oriented than competitive. I mean, we can be in competition with each other. There are other women-led NFT collections, but they would be much more likely. I've seen this inside of parties and stuff like rival NFT community women leaders are going to come together and then they're like, yay, yay for each other. And it's just a beautiful thing. I love that you just said that because I always say, and I don't think there could be any controversy behind this. Women as a whole, we are biologically by nature conditioned to think for collectives. And I think that's what separates us. When we make decisions, we make decisions more for the collective, not that others don't, but it's just innate within us to be able to do that. And I think that's the beauty of having women lead because we're always going to be thinking about others. We're always going to be thinking about how can we help others in this space. If you think of white collar crimes, Sally, how many of them have actually been done by women? I would love to see a statistic. I would challenge anybody out there to show me a statistic of white collar crimes done by 
others as opposed to women. I would love to see that statistic because I'm pretty sure that number is very low for women. Yeah. And I have the same issue. I actually love shooting guns, but yet (laughs) I will. It's so fun. You can't even imagine. But I also recognize that women are not responsible for any of the mass shootings that have gone in the United States or elsewhere. And I think women, like I was playing Halo the other night with my girlfriend before the movie started. And I was like, oh, this is really fun to shoot this assault rifle and to shoot this other rifle. And they switched ammunition like every five seconds. And yet there's no part of me that wants to go out and shoot human beings. And Because I think women, as you pointed out, we're responsible for the collective. We're also responsible for creating life. And so I'm sure there are exceptions to what I'm saying, but not statistically. There are no exceptions statistically. And so I think that I always end up coming back to this quote that the Dalai Lama said, the world will be saved by the Western woman. And he didn't mean some other women. He meant actual you, actual me, actual you who are listening. This is just so important that you understand that we are all getting this call at the same time. And the time is now. And the time is now to be looking into what Web3 is. So as we're winding down the episode, I'd love to put in a plug for how women should actually take some time to look into Web3, understand more about it. You know, if there's any opportunity to learn or sign up for any sessions, we are, sessions right now are for Canadian women. I'm hoping to branch out more internationally, but we do have sessions that are 75 minutes that help give women a high-level tutorial of Web3 is. And by the end of it, they walk away thinking about how they can apply their skills in Web2 to the world of Web3. And we should all be starting to think like that. We should be jumping in. We should be trying to figure out how can we either become an entrepreneur or how can we contribute to this next generation wealth economy or how can we make money in this next generation wealth economy? We should all be thinking about this as women because this is our chance for that reset that we've been looking for. So let's do it. (laughs) Let's make it happen. I love it. Love it. Love it. Janelle, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so just impressed. And you know, if you're a woman and you're thinking about How can I get started? How can I get in? Look, 5%, those numbers need to change. And I think the statistics are a little bit different in the US. I think they're higher, but still 15%, you know, for it to get to be 50%, you have to participate. You have to say yes, even though it's scary, even though it feels hard. And recognize that just like Janelle and I are having this really great conversation today and we're already talking about like working together and there's just always so much opportunity. Recognize that there are going to be other women that are going to support you and buoy you and hold you up when you're feeling like you need it. And we want to be that resource for you. So dive in with both feet. Thank you so much, Janelle. It's been great. Thank you so much, Hallie, for having me. It's been a pleasure. So if you have enjoyed this episode of Goddess of Crypto, please like, comment, review, and share. Share it with every single woman that you know. And that way, all the women in the world can get into this opportunity that is unprecedented and we can start changing our world for the better. Every week, transformational wealth coach Hallie Evelyn leads a conversation that helps to ensure that women everywhere can learn to surf the coming tsunami of the new energy of money. You can find her at goddessofcrypto.me. That's goddessofcrypto.me. 
be sure to subscribe to Goddess of Crypto on your favorite platform or watch the show on YouTube. And remember, wealth isn't just your privilege, it's your right. <laughs>